going to be finishing up chapter 11 today. <clears throat> we are going to start with, and Dennis, if you could get that Matthew quote ready. We're going to start with verse 7, which says, then they brought the colt, the colt being a donkey, to Jesus and threw their clothes on it and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the tree and spread them on the road. So Matthew adds this commentary. Do we have that? Um, do we have that, Dennis? Matthew adds this commentary in the parallel uh, part, uh, um, the parallel passage in Matthew. See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. That's from the book of Zechariah. It's a fulfilled prophecy. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. So back here in verse 9 of Mark 11, let's continue. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, which means you're saving us now. Very interesting um, in the Greek, this word, in the Hebrew. It means saving us now. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now move with me down to verse 15. Verse 15 of Mark 11. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who, were, those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares, meaning goods, meaning stuff to sell, through the temple. Verse 17, then he taught saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his Teaching. Now go down to verse 27. Let's finish out the chapter. Then they came again to Jerusalem, meaning Jesus came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? But Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. Verse 33, so they answered and said to Jesus, 
We do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this book. We thank you for everything in this chapter, Lord, that we have learned and received and have been walking out with your help. And, and Lord, I pray, Father, that you would just fill us with the word, fill uh, us with the spirit. Lord, I pray, fill me with the spirit and that I would not be a hindrance to anyone in this room or, or on live stream, not understanding, not getting this love letter that you've given to them, I just pray, Father, we'd get it all, all of it, Lord, so that we may go out and apply. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So Jesus comes to Jerusalem for the last time during his public ministry. Within days, he will be crucified. He comes, the Bible says, riding on a donkey and gentle. We saw that. Riding on a donkey and gentle. Can we have that verse again, Dennis, from Matthew? This is how he came into Jerusalem for the last time. Gentle, lowly. That is always how Jesus will receive you. Always, 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 if you come to him with a surrendered heart. No matter how terrible your sins may be, no matter how many sins you have, no matter how many times you've fallen into sin, Jesus will receive you with gentleness and love, the Bible teaches. I'm not just saying that because it sounds like a good thing to say. I'm not just saying that like, you know, theological gobbledygook. The Bible teaches that. If you come to Jesus with a surrender heart, he will receive you with gentleness. A surrendered heart. A heart that says, Jesus, my life is yours, not mine. Do with it as you please, but I need you, as we sang over and over and over again. And I loved it this morning. I need you. All I need is you. I need my sin anymore. I need you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 1835. David tells God, your gentleness has made me great. Have you ever heard such a thing in the world? It's exactly how God makes you great. His gentleness. It was God's gentleness that always kept David coming back to God. which allowed God to continue to use him and make him great. You may ask, why was Jesus gentle here coming into Jerusalem? He knew he was going to be crucified. What motivates Jesus to be gentle? 
And the answer is God is love. 1 John, verse 8 and verse 16. His motivation is love. When you come to God after messing up really bad, some big sin, nothing feels more like love than gentleness. So unexpected. You come in expecting the worst, you get the best. You're expecting rejected, you get grace in the form of gentleness. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem, gentle, lowly, meek, riding on a donkey. He arrives in Jerusalem in the late afternoon or the early evening. Go to verse 11 with me. It says, this is what happened when he first got there. He says, Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So he sort of comes in and, and leaves soon after because it was late. So verse 15 picks up the following morning. So he comes in lowly, gentle, riding on a donkey, goes into the temple, looks around, goes out of the city, Verse 15 picks up the following morning. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And then he taught, saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, we've talked about these verses in the last few weeks, and here, Jesus is what? Anything but gentle. He's overturning tables. Actually, in the book of John, he did this, the, I think the first time he came to Jerusalem uh, three years earlier, he made a whip and, and he uh, like drove the cattle out of the temple courts, the, the sheep and, the, and whatever they were selling there. Anything but gentle. Is Jesus, the son of God here, acting contrary to the nature of God? Is he doing that? Some Bible critics would say yes. But the answer is no. Romans 11 verse 22 says this. Consider then, your translations probably say behold. Consider then the kindness and the severity of God. Sometimes the Lord is severe. He is intensely severe. Not only with bad people, wicked people who are acting um, contrary to him, fighting against him, but with you, with me. Sometimes he is severe, the opposite of gentle. And what is the motivation? What is the motivation for his severity? I will tell you, it's love. The same thing 
that motivates his gentleness. God is love. His love for God, his love for the Father. The glory of God, the beauty of God, right here in this verse where these guys are selling goods in the temple. We'll get into it a little bit later. He's ripping, uh, they're ripping people off. They're ripping worshipers off. The glory of, his, of, of, of God the Father who loves him. That great picture in John chapter 17 of the love of, that God, has, of God the Father has for the Son and the love that the Son has for the, uh, for the Father. He loves God. And the, his glory is being trashed. And he hears, he, he's here protecting the glory of God by overturning tables. This is filled with money, by the way. They were changing currency. But he's also acting here as he's going through the temple, overturning tables, driving people out, it says. The first says he was driving people out of the temple who were selling stuff. And his motivation is not only love for the Father, to protect the Father's glory, but love for the children of God, love for the worshipers of God. When Jesus was overturning tab the tables here of money changers and driving out the people, what did he say? Again, verse 17, it says, it says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The temple was a place where people from all over the world would come to pray, to love God, to get to know God, to experience the gentleness, the goodness of God. God, their greatest joy. That's why they were in the temple. But Calvary Chapel, that's what you're made for. That is what you are made for. You are made to pray to God, love God, get to know God, experience uh, God in his gentleness, his goodness, his power, and his wisdom, and imagine all that being spoiled, corrupted, ruined by the very ones who are supposed to be helping you to love him and to know him. Just the hurt that would cause in you. And these people are being hurt those who bought and sold in the temple, they were selling lambs and doves for the people to sacrifice at prices that were ripping them off. They were changing currencies at rates which were ripping them off because they'd be, they were coming to the temple to make sacrifices which were required in Jewish law in the Old Testament, in the Mosaic law, and lambs and doves. And in order to do so, they had to change currency. They had to ch ch go from whatever currency it was uh, in the uh, you know, dollars into drachmas or whatever. The, the, and, and they were being charged at really high rates. They were being ripped off. And I have no doubt that some or many or even most of those coming into the temple, um, it was turning into something that they loved to do and uh, into something that they hated to do. We know from the Old Testament, for, from the book of First. Samuel, that the sons of the high priest were doing the same thing, very similar, ripping people off. And it says there in 1 Samuel, Samuel, it says, 
what they were doing was very wicked in the sight of God because people were abhorring the offering of God, meaning people started to hate this whole thing of going to Jerusalem and worship God. Now that's a serious thing. And so, so, so Jesus, behold the gentleness and the severity of God. Uh, the Bible says he, in Colossians 1.15, he's the very image of God, the very person of God. He sees the children of God being hurt in this way and out of his great love for them, he gets severe. So again, verse 17, Jesus says, speaking of the temple... My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of thieves. So now pause. Let's pause. Fast forward five days to the cross. He's going to be crucified five days from this point. He dies for our sins, past, present, and future. The book of Matthew 27, 51 says the moment he died, it says he gave up his spirit and died. The very moment, that very moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two. Now that means, that could be a whole sermon on its own, but what that means is that the temple at that moment became entirely irrelevant in the eyes of God, at that moment, the veil of the temple torn to, entirely irrelevant. I mean, it may have had lots of activity, people coming in, but at that point, it's irrelevant in the eyes of God. Because at that moment, it went from God dwelling in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, to where the temple, to a place where the temple is, is, is you. Where the temple is you. Temple no longer a building. It's no longer, a, 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 it's not a church building. Church is not a building. It's, it's not even a location, really. It's you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you come to Jesus, recognizing who he is, the son of God who came into the world to live for you, to die for you, to raise from the dead for you, and you say, yes, Jesus, come into my life. You become God's temple with God living inside of you. Here's a verse I quote a lot, Revelation 3.20. It says this. Do we have that, Dennis? Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus speaking to really everyone who has ever existed, in a sense, from the time that he died. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That means when you respond to God, respond to Jesus knocking on your door, he comes inside of you to dine with you, 
meaning a relationship with you, and you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. What was once a massive building, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the complex, the temple complex was huge. The temple actually area itself where they did the sacrifices was relatively small, but, but it, the whole complex was, was, was very large. It goes from being a large building, it goes from that to you. When you ask Jesus Christ into your life. So, you're the temple of the living God. If you've asked Jesus to come in your life as your king. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, do you not know? Would you get it into your heads, Paul is telling the church in Corinth. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? So just as, so hear me out. We take off the pause button at this point. This is back to our, our story here from Mark 11. Just as Jesus was really serious about his temple, when his temple was being corrupted by men who were ripping off the people, he's really serious uh, when his temple, you, is being corrupted by you. Let's continue reading. Let's read these verses again in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Uh, can we have the next uh, verse? It says, again, it says, do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in, in you? Uh, look, Calvary Chapel. Look at what it says next. Jesus is real serious about you corrupting your temple. Really serious. And me. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So, notice in the second sentence here, second part of the verse, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. Now, you see those words defile and destroy? In the second, it says, if anyone defiles, it says, God will destroy him. Same word in the Greek. It's the, it's the same word. It's, um, it's the word pathero, where everyone el everywhere else in the New Testament is translated corrupt. So really, a literal translation of the verse would read like this. It would say, if anyone corrupts the temple of God, and, and this is, by the way, this is talking about you and me, if anyone corrupts the temple of God, God will corrupt him. It's the same word in the Greek. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Um, now, not God's, God won't corrupt you. It, it doesn't mean in the sense that God is corrupt himself or he's dirty or he's sinful. No, actually, uh, the Bible says that Jesus is incorruptible, uh, that, that God is incorruptible. The idea here is that if you corrupt God's temple, God's going to come in and he is going to overturn your tables. He will overturn supremely what he'll overturn is your happiness. And he has a thousand infinite ways of doing that. 
Why? Because of love. Because he loves you. But also because he loves his father. He's protecting the glory of God. You now are the glory of God. You may think real low of yourself. You know, the, our world is all about self-esteem today. You need to be, feel real special about yourself. Well, well I, I got to tell you, beware of that, except in, in a sense, it's really true when you read the Bible and it says that the glory of God resides in you. You are the glory of God. That'll do a lot for your self-esteem. It's amazing what, 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 what Christianity does to people when, when they come to the Lord and just seeing them over time as they get to know who they are. They are the glory of God and, and seeing insecure people just develop into strong, confident people, humble in the Lord. He will overturn your tables though if you corrupt your temple. He'll overturn your peace. Sometimes he's gentle when he does that. Other times he's severe. But in all cases, he's motivated by one thing, love. Love, love, love. Love for you because you are corrupting God's temple. You're robbing yourself of your greatest joy, your greatest treasure, your greatest strength. Now, how do you corrupt God's temple? How do you corrupt God's temple? Well, now, there's a long book of law in the Old Testament that will teach you about that. But let's, let's read here in this verse in 1 Corinthians where it says you're the temple of God. Uh, Let's, let's read here. Can we have the, no, 317. Go back to the other one. Again, it, remember the verse that we're talking about is 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. If anyone corrupts the temple of God, God will corrupt him. Well, how were they corrupting the temple of God? Just back up a, a little bit in, in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. It, it, what it, Paul is telling them, do you not know that you're the, t oops, no, the, the, the next one. Right, he's telling him earlier in the chapter, he says, you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? This is how they were corrupting their temple. They weren't like guzzling um, necessarily, it doesn't necessarily take guzzling alcohol or doing drugs to corrupt your temple. You just be jealous of another person in this room, or you be critical of them in your heart, or you be unforgiving in your heart, you're corrupting your temple, and all I can tell you, you better watch out, <laughs> because God protects his temple, and he's really serious about it. These, these folks, it says, in, in, in Corinth, they were carnal, meaning they were um, acting instead of in the spirit, they were acting in the flesh. And, and, and you know, what does the flesh do? Uh, we talked about it uh, last week, um, a few things. Uh, you, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at, um, you're, you're, you're gossiping about some, someone or you're criticizing someone and you're hoping that that someone that you're 
uh, that person you're criticizing someone to will leave the conversation with a lesser opinion about who you're criticizing. You better watch it. God's going to be overturning your tables. He's going to be robbing you of your joy, your peace. He's going to do it because he protects the temple. He protects his temple. Uh, the Bible, again, getting back, God is love. God is love. And um, I like First Peter chapter um, uh, 1, verse 22. It says, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. I love that word fervently. It means stretched out. You know it takes, it's really hard and it stretches you to love some people. Some of you, you got to be stretched out to love me. I know that. But, 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 but it says here, you don't have a choice. You're the temple of the living God. It says, through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another um, fervently with a pure heart, it, it, it says. And so um, if you're acting in an unloving way, you're misrepresenting the God who saved you because God is love and, and God is going to, God's, one of his purposes in saving you is he's love that you may be an expression of that love to others, particularly others, by the way, the Bible says, in the body of Christ. And, and, and so if you're not forgiven as God has forgiven you, if you're criticizing and, and, um, and, and you're, you're, you're speaking uh, against another brother or sister in the church, or, or you're just being unloving by being so focused on something that you are neglecting the very people God is bringing into your life. You, you're so focused on getting that task done, <laughs> that job, that ministry, that, that uh, schoolwork, that you're just brushing aside that coworker. You're brushing aside your husband, your wife, your child, that stranger who's in front of you in line at the stop and shop holding up you from getting back to work or home or wherever so you can complete that thing. You're always in a hurry. Hurry practically equals lack of love. If you are a person who hurries, you're not loving. God's gonna overturn your tables and he may kick one right in front of you and, and, and you'll just smash right on your face. Say, well, what just happened? God's like, you're too much in a hurry. You're the temple of the living God. Hurried people are not loving people. 90% of the time. Why else might God start overturning your tables in your life? What other corruption might be in your life that would cause the Lord to start overturning your tables. Well, let's look at another place that you, that you, you are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's just three chapters later in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now here Paul is bringing up again why? How were they corrupting God's temple? Well, it says here in 1 Corinthians 18, the issue was sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. 
do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Sex was created by God as a beautiful thing, as a powerful thing, as a uniting thing, as a spiritual thing. When it takes place between a man and a woman in marriage, anything outside of that is sexual immorality. And what sexual immorality, by the way, it's not just talking about sexual intercourse. The word here, porneo, fornication, flee sexual immorality, is really any kind of sexual uncleanness. It's where we get the word pornography. The, the, the flee sexual morality. This is the word porneo in, uh, in the Greek. So if you're in this room and you're having sexual Im- relations with someone outside of marriage, you're corrupting the temple of God. And you're going to be having some of your tables overturned if you don't repent and turn back. This is the whole point that Paul is, is making here with him. Flee sexual immorality. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Sometimes we think we have a pass when it comes to sexual immorality. Just thinking about the stuff. Fantasizing. This covers it. It's a broad word. There is a word for, uh, there is a, another Greek word for, um, for sexual morality involving intercourse, sec, actual sexual intercourse. This isn't, this isn't one of them. The book of Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, put to death the members of your body which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, and passion, referring to sexual passion, just allowing our minds to go free, not fighting those sexual fantasies that we have, which, by the way, are going to come up in virtually everyone if you're, if you're alive, if you're a walking, breathing human being. But as we just heard, it says, put to death, resist them. Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the temple of the living God. Just think of that incredible temple in Jerusalem. It's now, it's now you. And, and, and so sexual immorality is another way to corrupt your temple. And I tell you, Calvary Chapel, in the year 2022, would you get serious about this? About purity in your life and in your mind. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus comes into the temple. He doesn't like what he sees. They're corrupting the temple. And he corrupts them in the sense he starts driving them out it corrupts them. It, 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 the place looks a lot different. There's money all over the floor. And uh, I, I sometimes wonder, like, did people, like, run after that money? I don't think so, at least not right off. I mean, he had so much moral and spiritual presence and authority. People didn't mess with this guy. No one tried to stop him, notice. 
Uh, there's no, no account here that they tried to stop. He's, he, he's doing this in the temple. Uh, and, and, but we read of two responses. Two responses when God has overturned your tables because of some sin in your life. And by the way, if, if, if some like real difficult thing happens in your life, you lose your job, you get in a car crash, or, or, or you lose a relationship, uh, you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, is, is there some, are you, are you overturning a table because of sin? He, he'll show you. And un, unless he makes it clear to you, just walk on. Don't live in superstitious guilt. He loves you. Um, uh, but, but, but he'll make it real clear. Uh, he'll put the finger right on that thing that he overturned the table for. But there are two responses once God starts overturning your table. And as a, as a pastor, I got to tell you, this is my life living with these two responses. Number one, we need the help of the book of Matthew. Go to the left to the book right before in the book of Matthew. Uh, go to the left and go to, where are we? Chapter 21. This is remarkable here. So remember in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the same stories, many of the same stories uh, are, are recounted except there's different detail. So go to chapter 21 and we are going to start reading in verse 12. Matthew 21, verse 12. So here, it's the same story here. Then Jesus went into the temple of God, drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the uh, seats of those who sold does. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Look what happens next. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Now, so he goes from gentle to severe to gentle, just like this. Is that amazing? Only the Lord can do that. But I think there is a teaching for us here, for our hearts, for your heart and mine. It says the blind and the lame came to him. Listen, when God overturns your tables. I don't want to minimize that, by the way. When he does that, you may, you, you may land in prison or out on the street, homeless. I just got a call this past week about a dear, dear, dear brother. He's homeless now. When he overturns your tables, here's the response that you're supposed to have. You go to Jesus and you say, I'm blind. Please open my eyes and help me walk. I'm lame. I am so helpless walking on my own. I've tried to do it in my own strength. Would you help me walk? going to him with a spirit of repentance with nothing to offer him except a surrendered life. 
That's the response, number one. But let's talk about response number two. So response number two, back in Mark uh, chapter 11, if you could go back there with me. Response number two is when Jesus shows up the day after that he went into the temple and overturned people and drove people out. It says as they came, that they, including Jesus, verse 27, we're in verse 27 now, when they came again to Jerusalem and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. I mean, this is like the, the mayor, the senior pastor or senior priest of the city, and uh, then as well, like the CEO of the most, uh, the CEO of the most successful company in the city, coming at the same time. And there's a group of people. And it says they meet him. In verse 28, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority to do these things? They're challenging his authority. This is response number two. When God turns your table over, he takes your peace away. He takes your joy away. All of a sudden, you're depressed a lot. Why? God has overturned your table of joy. Why? You hate authority. You hate being under authority. You've been resisting. He's overturned your tables. And, it, and you dig in your heels. You dig in your heels even more. I don't like authority. I, what, you know, what's going on? A lot, of pe- a lot of times, by the way, the response, people aren't even talking to God. They're still in a, a place of self-deceit where they think they're following God. But they don't like the authority. They continue in whatever sin that they have, their bitterness, their sexual immorality, um, and sometimes it absolutely is drugs. It is weed. It is alcohol. Or it is just that unloving attitude where they're so focused on whatever, they're neglecting everyone else in their life. God's overturning their tables. Their joy has gone to peace. And they just dig, they dig their heels in because they don't like authority. They don't want to do the one thing that God requires of every human being. Go to him and surrender their heart. They don't want to do it. Now, Jesus has a response to them. them. These guys are coming with bad faith. Uh, His response to them, verse 29, he answers and says to them, well, I'll ask you a question. And and this is not, he's not answering in gentleness here because they're not coming with a surrendered heart. So he's going to be severe with them. In a way, and, and by the way, don't try to be severe with people. You're not Jesus, and I'm not Jesus. Stick with gentleness, You'll do much better with that. Speaking from a guy who's failed about 10,000 times. Just stick with gentleness. So verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you, by what authority do, you, do um, I do these things? The baptism of John, was it from heaven or men? Answer me. 
Now, of course, John said that Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, and he publicly declared it to everyone. They weren't going to answer this question. <laughs> they come back and they say, I don't know. Real strange thing. They, in verse 31, they reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then do you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people. It, it, it's weird. They, they, Jesus asked them, where, where was his baptism from? Uh, they were they're like, okay, uh, wait one second here. And, and a bunch of them, they're like discussing. And then they just come back and they say, um, I don't know. That's... Um, par for the course for someone who doesn't want to be under authority. They're just evasive. You bring up God to them, you bring up that um, um, uh, repentance to them, and they squirrel their way out of the question. I want to call the worship team up at this point. You know, you are the temple of the living God. If you have asked Jesus Christ into your life as Lord, you're the temple of the living God. There is a continuation. Um, there is a, it's, it, if you can turn back with me to Matthew, there's a really uh, interesting continuation in Matthew of what happens in this conversation with these men who had a problem with Jesus' authority. He had overturned their tables, but they were not interested in sub- repenting and submitting to authority. So if you go with me to um, uh, to, to Matthew 21 again, uh, verse down to verse, um, again, it's verse 25. Um, he says, the baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? They reason um, uh, among themselves. And uh, verse 27 says, so they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But then he continues. He continues talking with them. This is not in the book of Mark. This is fascinating here. Uh, only Jesus can talk like this. He goes, um, but what do you think? So he continues the conversation with them. A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go, son, go. Work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted regretted it and he went. Is everyone following me? Thank you for your patience. We're we're nearing the end. So he asked asked his first son, hey, uh, will you go work on the farm? And uh, the guy says, "Uh, I won't. But later on, he said, you know, I really shouldn't. He went off and he, he went off to do his work on the farm. Verse 30, then he, came, then he came to the second son and said likewise, and he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? And they said to him, well, the first. And then Jesus said to them, keep in mind, this is the mayor, the priest of the city, and the CEO he's talking with. It's a group of them, actually. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors, who were the least respected, most evil people in the city, and the harlots, meaning the prostitutes, enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but tax, tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. What he's saying here, 
to these men, these particular men, you have never in your whole life submitted to the authority of God and you are going to hell. Earlier on in Matthew, he's just as explicit. In Matthew chapter 7, he says to some folks, including religious people, talking to him, he said, not all of you who call me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father who is above. And then he says, many will come on that day, the day of judgment, and I will say to you, I never knew you. Not few. He says, many. Many will come to me in the day of judgment, and I will say to them, I never knew you. Why? They didn't want to put their life under the authority of God. I think we closed the... the um, the worship set with that song, All I Need Is You. And remember one of the lyrics is, he holds the universe. All authority is God's. So how long is it going to take for you to submit to that authority if you never have before? You do not want to meet God on the judgment date and have him tell you, I never knew you. If you've never done that before, it is a prayer of faith. You can't you can't be good enough to earn a relationship with God. All you need to do, the Bible says, is by faith submit to the authority of, of the Lord. And guess what? He's a gentle, loving Savior, and he will receive you. If you've been called to pray, please come up. If anything has stirred you to pray, if you've never asked Jesus to become the authority, the absolute authority in your life, come up. I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to pray with you. Or if you find yourself you found yourself today when I was speaking about the corruption of the temple whether it's just a pattern of unloving behavior in your life or, or sexual immorality or whatever else you may be corrupting your temple with. or may, Come up for prayer or, or perhaps the Lord has overturned a bunch of your tables and you just need someone to pray for you to get your way back. Come up, pray with us as we, as we close the service. You can rise for the closing worship song.